This is My Favorite DJ, the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We are sponsored by Club Killers. If you haven't already signed up for Club Killers, you should sign up now, and here's why. Club Killers is providing listeners of this podcast with a very specific code. And with this code, you get 50% off the regular fee that they charge their DJs for accessing the the store that they have, the the record pool, all of the content on their website usually costs $40 a month. But if you use the code my favorite DJ all capital letters all together, my favorite DJ, no spaces, capital letters. If you use that promo code or coupon code, you can be a club killer for six months for just 20 bucks a month. Uh, and then after that, it would revert to the regular regular price. But you have basically six months to check out the site, feel it out, see if you like it. And I, I have no doubt that you will. It's one of the top record pools in the world. So if you're a listener of this podcast and you have not signed up yet, I recommend that you do so. Not only will you be getting a bunch of great music uh, and content and exclusive edits that you can't get anywhere else because they have in-house producers that make a lot of stuff that is not accessible on any other uh, site on the internet. So not only would you get that, but also what you're doing is you're helping out this podcast because you're telling Club Killers, hey, look, whenever Conflict puts something out, you know, I uh, I follow through and I check it out at least. I'll check it out and see if it's worth my time. So again, the code is my favorite DJ, all capital letters, no spaces, and that will get you six months of Club Killers access for twenty bucks, and that's fantastic. I have a lot of email questions. And I want to get to, and by the way, that, that coupon code is a limited time. It's not going to be uh, forever. It's probably going to be until maybe like the end of October or beginning of November. So it's a very, very short time that that coupon is going to be uh, in play. I have a, a bunch of really good questions in my inbox, and I haven't done uh, questions for a while, but I'm just going to go down and read some of these. Uh, DJ Sickness has, and I'm going to start with questions, and I do have something else that I thought about I wanted to put out on the podcast, but we'll start with questions here. What happens after a train wreck? DJ Sickness asks that. Well, it sucks if you mess up a mix. Where was I? I was somewhere, and I was like, oh, man, that was terrible. Um, now I'm trying to make my brain work. I have my sip of coffee here. I was playing some... Oh, I was playing... Okay, I remember now. I'm not going to say it, actually, but... I was playing uh, somewhere, and there were two DJs in the booth with me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to loop this thing and then put this on top and then just kind of cut it out and and start using the crossfader. So I kind of go through the technique that I'm going to do before I do it. And then when I actually did it it didn't really work out like I thought it would in my head and it was not a great transition to say the least and then I was like damn it because not only do I sound bad in that it was one mix you know out of 200 songs that I play that night uh, I'm usually I'll forgive myself for one error one or two times that I mess up 
but if it if it starts like affecting anything then i get you know upset it's like look you can be in a band and you play a bunch of songs and then during one song you're off one note during you know your guitar solo or you're off one bass note uh during the the bridge of a song like you can't you can't kill yourself for that it happens it's human error it's okay so what do you do shit you recover and you make sure the next 10 mixes are clean and perfect that's what i do uh dj lvlr or leveler is how you pronounce it from houston texas asks how do you go about handling a heckler whether it's about the music song or anything else along those lines and what's a memory or moment that you have that you've dealt with a difficult person how did you resolve it uh first thing that comes to mind is when people do the cut the song off thing like they move their hand across their neck and they're like cut it off uh that's that's awesome usually what you can do with that is just I just I laugh because I think wow you're so self-centered and you're so uh you're so selfish that you think that you know what everybody in this room wants to hear without having the professional training to actually know what everyone in this room wants to hear so there's one person that doesn't like a song and they're like doing the hand across the neck and they're like nah not tearing it off it's like I want to know why your parents only had one child because it would have been great for you to have a sibling so you learn how to share with other people because it's not always about what you want. And that's what I would tell them to their face uh, if they came up to me and said, turn it off. But since they do the hand gesture from across the room, I just laugh because I think, wow, it must really suck to be your significant other. I bet you you guys never go eat where your your boyfriend or your girlfriend wants to eat. You always go where you want to eat because you're selfish and it just sucks for your partner but i just laugh because <laughs> i think all these things all at once in my head and i and and i can't say them so i just laugh because they're funny uh what's another one uh the the one that i i dislike the most but it's not even like a, a bad one it's not even like a heckle is when you're playing something and some european dude is like raising up his hand like go higher go more go further like do it do more do more do more like up they're doing up the up signal with their hand god i hate that shit <sighs> what do you want me to do you want me to dance like you want me to jump up on the decks and dance I, I got nothing man i'm playing the music the music's playing everyone's dancing having a good time you're the only one telling me go up higher like what higher i don't know maybe that's a symbol for something else that i'm not aware of but i i dislike that one uh and then other than that i don't know if anyone is disrespectful uh with what they say to me then it just becomes it, d- it doesn't become a dj issue it becomes a human to human issue if someone says something mean and disrespectful then i would say you know defend myself and counter in the way i would counter any human regardless of what they're talking about whether somebody says hey uh i don't know whatever that's that's what i can that's and i can't remember a specific difficult person besides those little things uh, and uh, oh, here's a mix I haven't listened to. I gotta listen to that. I gotta listen to that. Okay. Uh, this is a question. I'm not gonna read the name because it might be sensitive. But I I DJ at a local club. The owner seems to be stuck in the EDM phase for 2012. 
This is actually going to apply to a lot of people out there, I believe. There's a lot of owners that are, would say, don't play hip-hop, keep it EDM for several reasons. They probably think it keeps away the bad crowd. They probably think that people that listen to EDM pay more money, uh, something like that. He gets very upset when the DJ plays hip-hop. In this past club, it was known for EDM from 2009 to 2014, but the music has changed, and so has the clientele. Currently, EDM still works in spurts, but not for the entire night, but the owner wants all EDM from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., which honestly leaves the crowd bored, or they just leave. With that quick history, my question is, how can I get the owner to understand that EDM is not what used to be not what it used to be and open format is the way to go because it keeps the crowd in the club and enjoying that night well that's a tough situation because you have to convince somebody that thinks that they know everything how things actually work Uh, and that's what it's like to deal with a club owner that won't listen to or an owner in general that won't listen to employees so what I would suggest that you do is maybe slip it in conversation here and there and download as many house to hip-hop back-to-house breaks that you can find. So a, a song that starts at house music, so it might have like a house intro beat, and then it drops down to hip-hop for a little bit, and then it builds back up to house music. So so what you could be doing is you're you're kind of... You're still playing a house song, right? If the the owner comes up and goes, what the hell was that? It was hip-hop. You say, no, no, it's a house song. It just goes down and goes back up. And you can slowly start opening up that door, you know, one song at a time. Maybe you play two of those songs, three of those songs per hour in between all the shit that he's telling you to force-feed the crowd. Maybe he comes around by himself and he looks out there and he's like, wow, they really react to this stuff. You can play a couple of more of those. M- maybe name them something. Say something like, uh, it's, a, it's a hybrid song. Name it a hybrid song. So it's, ha- it's 90% house music, 10% hip hop. Maybe he comes up to you after a few days of you doing that and he says, hey, those hybrid songs are really good. Make sure to play a lot of those today. And then after that, you're going to have to take a leap and you might have to play some hip-hop straight up. Play that quote-unquote hybrid song. Wait for it to come down. Play two hip-hop songs real quick. I'm talking about chorus-only edits. Shit that will not get you fired. And then immediately put a build-up back up and go back to house music. What you're doing is kind of uh, giving the crowd what they want, doing what is going to work, and at the same time, slowly pushing that door open to see if the club owner bites and there was a possibility there's a possibility that he's going to say i don't like it stop doing that it's straight house nothing else and then you have to make the decision do i want to play here and make this paycheck and do something that i know doesn't work or do i want to leave and find somewhere else where i can play what i want to play and what is going to work for people that come to the club that's your decision but i think that that's probably the best course of action for you to kind of slowly start slipping slipping things in there and see how the crowd reacts and, and make sure you do it when the owner's there so no one talks shit afterwards or record your set just in case because you might have a general manager or some asshole that's like, yeah, he played hip-hop last night, you should fire him, trying to get his buddy into DJ to take a check. You know what I'm saying? That's what I recommend. So, 
let's move on to this next email. Just had to take a sip of coffee there. Uh, so a DJ, I'm not going to mention the name because I don't want people to think that they're inexperienced or anything, but uh, I've noticed that DJs have their crossfader set up backwards. Traditionally, channel one is uh, on the left, channel two is on the right. However, some crossfaders are inverted. Uh, Chris Villa is one, yes. So um, the question is, uh, have I seen this? Um, have you seen this or try this? Uh, and also, are there any real advantages or disadvantages, or is it just simply personal preference? I hope my explanation made sense. Yes, it did make sense. So, basically, uh, it's called uh, hamster style. Uh, I think, I'm going to guess this one, but it probably has to do with either the Invisible Scratch Pickles or uh, some old school, not not old school, but a a Scratch crew that decided to name it hamster style. Uh, I don't know the exact story behind it, I just know that's what it's called. And you're right, it basically inverts the crossfader. Are there any advantages? Uh, Some people feel more comfortable um, doing uh, the motion with their pushing with their thumb instead of pushing with their fingers. So uh, the thumb's a very uh, strong finger. It's a very uh, important finger. It's actually what allows us to complete our grasp and grabbing of things. So when you're in hamster style, you use the, the your thumb to push and your fingers to uh, turn off the crossfader. Whereas in regular style, or I forget what it's called, standard or not regular or I forget the, the exact word that I want to use for it. not basic style standard conventional style conventional style the thumb is actually acting as a resistance while the fingers turn on the crossfader and in hamster it's inverted the thumb turns on the crossfader and the fingers turn it off so there's there's merits to both it just depends on what feels better some people think that hamster style is better i am not that person, but just because I've learned the way that I've learned. So next DJ. Thank you. I'm not going to read the name either because this has like very specific stuff. Thank you for the, my favorite DJ podcast. You have helped me so much and it's very entertaining. Wow. Thanks. Uh, How would you recommend finding out of town rates for an unknown unknown DJ if you have zero connections in that area? (laughs) The going rate for my area in Georgia is 200 bucks for a 10 to 3 a.m. gig. Overbidding will screw me out of a gig while underbidding will screw the local DJ scene. Thanks for your time. Well, sir, there's only one way to find out. If you have zero connections and you have no idea what they're paying, you can do one of two things. Number one, you can ask the people that are booking, what's the budget for your Friday night? Or what's the budget for your Saturday night? If they ask you first, the club asks you, what's what do you charge? You can say, well, that's based on so many things how much travel time do i bring my own decks i do a lot of different dj work but 
what would be easier is if you tell me what your budget is on Friday nights because we could work together and find a common ground where we're both happy. So you kind of throw the ball. If they throw the ball at you, you throw the ball back at them without answering the question. And then they might give you a number. If they say, oh, it's you know 200 bucks," And you say, wow, that's not far off what I get paid. But I get paid slightly more. And this, is, this could be you just negotiating, doing business talk. I get paid slightly more when I do out-of-town stuff. So would it be possible for you to bump your rate up to 275 300 bucks for a special guest, which would be me when I come into town. And then you have negotiated a new price and potentially raised the market up. So that's what I would recommend. You ask them what the rate is, what they regularly pay, and figure out a way to not disclose what you want to get paid So because you have no idea. And then the other thing you can do is just give them a price and go from there. And this is how you'll know. If you tell them my rate for a Friday night is 300 bucks or my rate for a Saturday is 350 or 400 or whatever the case might be in your respective market if someone else is listening to this if you throw a number out there and they say that will work you might have gone too low because what I've learned about negotiation is whenever someone accepts the first offer without a counter then you're inside of the range of acceptable numbers that they would have accepted anyway. Maybe you got lucky, and let's say that their range for paying a DJ is between, just so I can work with numbers that I'm familiar with, 500 and 1,000. If the range is there, and you say, oh yeah, I would like to get paid 800, and they say yes, maybe you could have gone a little higher. You just don't know it. Let's say you get lucky, and you happen to land at that top number and you say, well, my rate is a thousand, and they go, okay, that'll work. You got lucky because you ended up at the top range, or you maybe you're unlucky and you say, oh, you, I'd like to get paid six hundred bucks. You don't know that there's an extra four hundred above that that you could have requested because you're coming into this dark. So, which is why I would rather gather as much information as possible from an entity that I'm going to be invoicing if I'm the one doing the negotiating, so I can make a proper bid for whatever I'm trying to accomplish there. Brad says there's an emerging bar scene in my bar scene in my neighborhood now with four bars already within the downtown district. Currently none of the bars have DJs at their establishments although one does have live bands. With competition heating up I see an opportunity here. And I'm seeking advice on how to approach these bars for DJ gigs. Is there a harder sell since these pots don't have DJs yet? I see opportunity. Thank you. Well, B-Rad, that's really great that you're actually uh, looking at a sector of business. What I would recommend is that you go around and see what clubs have speakers and maybe lights, or well, sorry, bars. What bars have speakers installed and lights installed? So see if anybody has the infrastructure already built in for a DJ, because then it's an easy sell. The club, uh, the bar was already thinking about putting in DJs. They just haven't done it yet. So if they have 
the system wired up already to go, all you would have to do is figure out a way to plug in. So see if any of the new bars in town or any bars in general that don't have DJs have speaker systems, maybe lights, they run cables for speakers, maybe there's cables, uh, XLR cables that are hanging from the roof somewhere in corners. So you can maybe be that little push over the edge that that makes them decide to buy speakers and then you hook up, you hook up your DJ shit and you're off to the races. Now, if there are none that have speakers and lights and stuff set up then you can just try to find the one that has the easiest setup if you were to set up a DJ uh, some decks and the whole DJ setup like speakers on stands etc etc because that can be done too inside of a bar so I would say once you have a bar that you see would work, whether it be with wired speakers in the ceiling already or a stage where you can set up your stuff with speakers or a sector of the bar that is open for that kind of setup, then you can approach the general manager and say, hey, I'm a DJ and I've, I've basically been, you give up your resume. I've been doing this, this, and this in this many places in this many years. I see that there's a space here and I think it would really work if you guys had a DJ. I don't know if you guys would be interested in that, but here's my card. Do you have a card? Is there somebody I can contact to basically pitch them my idea? Maybe the general manager says, the owner doesn't want a DJ in here. We don't want a DJ in here. Maybe he says, oh yeah, we've been looking for someone, whatever the case might be. So then after that, what you would do is just pitch it to them. Make write down a quick paragraph, uh, some you know a few sentences. Say, hey, there are no bar. Basically, what you wrote to me, there are no bars with DJs. I think if you guys put a DJ in, it would be fantastic. You would be the first one on the block, or the second, or the third, whatever. I'm the best DJ, regardless. So even if other bars have DJs already, you can use me, and it would be way better than them. And you would give your customers a new reason to come out here. They could dance. They could listen to music. We could try it out, see if it works. Here's a resume. Here's a picture of the setup. Here's a video of me DJing, something like that. Give them as much content as you as you can for them to make the decision. And then you wait and see if they bite. And then if they don't bite, just do the same thing with the next club. So that's what I would recommend for that. All right, this is... Lautaro, Palenque, I believe. Uh, hi, I'm Lautaro, a DJ from Argentina. Oh, one of my clan's people. First off, thank you for your podcast. All the help and issues you address helps us all in a big way. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, but I recently found out that you are of Argentinian descent. So I have some questions. I don't know if you've addressed them before, or if they're too personal, but I'm really curious. First of all, Lautaro, your English is great, and it's it's perfectly punctuated. Number one, do you listen slash know some Argentinian and Latin American music? And <laughs> in parentheses, reggaeton doesn't count. Number two, have you ever been to Argentina? And number three, do you consider yourself a Latino artist? So number one, I don't know too many uh Argentinian and Latin American artists. I don't know too many. I can know I know a couple. Uh I know just the ones that have like the big 
banger songs from you know years ago uh, no new stuff for sure but uh, bands like Azul Azul or Los Fabulosos Cadillacs stuff like that I do know I know folk artists and like older Latin artists from my parents time because they would play Spanish music so Mercedes Sosa is somebody that I do know um, uh, there's a, a Spanish dude Juan Manuel Serrat that I do know that's from my parents because they would just play the music so th- I don't know too many contemporary and I know very few in general number two have you ever been yes I've, I went to visit once when I was 14 and then number three do you, and, and also I was born there so number three <laughs> I guess if if that counts as visiting do you consider yourself a Latino artist so that is an interesting question here's the thing my mom says you have Hispanic blood in you she says that to me and I say no I don't I got my DNA tested so it's interesting how do we how do we actually put a title or a label on the type of artist it is is it where I was born if it's where I was born then I would default be a Latino artist but what if my parents were on vacation in Italy and my mom decided to fly eight months pregnant because they had the the trip booked for two years in advance and they're in Italy and they love it they stay an extra week and all of a sudden there's a complication and they have to go to a hospital and I'm born in Italy because they were on vacation does that make me an Italian artist in the future or am I still Argentinian because the you know a month after I'm born in Italy, I come back to Argentina. So now even though I was born in Italy, I spend every day afterwards in Argentina after a month. Does that make me an Italian artist or an Argentinian artist? Right? So that's that's the question. Now, it, it, in terms of the states, let's say that I'm, I'm born, again, I'm on a road trip with my parents, and they're on vacation, and I'm born in... Las Vegas. Does that make me, you know, a Las Vegas native? If I move back to Miami, the, you know, a few days after that, you know, it's, it's questionable, right? So, considering that I did uh, do uh, like a twenty-three and Me type style test that tells me where m- my ancestors were from, I am thirteen percent uh, North American, and that's through like my grandfather. So. I think the breakdown for my my descendant uh, no ancestors not descendants uh, I am the descendant of what I'm about to speak of 44% Mediterranean 22% Northern European 16% Native American I think it was or 13% Native American and then there's like a small South Asian piece and then 3% Sub-Saharan African so no, there is no Latino anything that comes out in blood. The only thing that could be uh, counted, I guess, would be the North American or the American because it's North and South America. And that's a very small percentage. So if you ask me what I think I am, it's the sum of the ancestry that I have. And that would be mostly Mediterranean. Where was I born? Argentina. Where do I live and have lived? Miami. 
what do I feel the most like? Like a, a citizen of the United States because I've been here the majority of my life. So I, I don't know if I want to put a label on anything that I do because there's such a mixture of stuff in there. And this is going to sound, maybe to you, you seem fairly intelligent. Uh, so maybe that all makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me. Maybe maybe there's some people that think, oh, you're you're not representing your people properly. It's like, that's not true. I love all Hispanic culture. We have like some of the best food in the world all across the board. Uh, you have uh, delicious barbecue or asado in Argentina, some of the best meat in the world, some of the best wine in the world. Brazilians have amazing foods. Uh, there's so many delicious uh, foods all over the Caribbean and countries that people speak Spanish. Mexican tacos are the best. Hispanics, Latinos in general are fantastic people. Great, hardworking, incredibly intelligent. Some of the best doctors in the world come from Latin American countries. Uh, Cuba has been at the forefront of medicine for years. And, and you know, for all the bad stuff that might go on there in regards to some other stuff, that's a really good point. Uh, and maybe some maybe some people think not a lot of bad stuff goes on there. Whatever. I don't know. That's what I've heard. I'm not that smart. So I'm not renouncing. I don't reject anything. I, when you're asking me how I label myself, I prefer not to label myself. I prefer to just be human. Uh, what was it? Was it Socrates or Plato? Citizen of the world first and then a son of Greece. That's one of the, the great philosophers said. Then that's what I am. Citizen of the world first, son of Argentina, residing in Miami with Mediterranean blood. That's my label. It's just too long to put on anything, right? <laughs> and I don't know how many other ones fit in my classification. So it would not be uh, a good classification to have. All right. Let me answer one more question. Yeah, I did answer this one. Oh, it's cool. I've got I got all of them down. All right, so what I wanted to talk about, I'll make, I'll make it short uh, because I have to, I got to jet in a little bit. But don't forget, if you haven't signed up already for Club Killers, if you use the coupon code MYFAVORITEDJ, all capital letters, no spaces, you will get 20%. I'm sorry, not 20. <laughs> 20%, that's not enough. Not for my listeners, only the best for you guys. You get 50% off the standard rate for Club Killers record pool. Regularly, it's 40 bucks. You pay $20 for six months, and then it goes back to normal rate. If you like it, you keep it. And if you don't think that it's valuable to you, which I, I don't see how you would think that, then you can just cancel your membership, and you're done. And you had the site for half off for six months. <coughs> Being a resident long-term at a nightclub, you get so many different perks and so many things happen. A lot, I know a lot of guys and girls out there are residents of nightclubs and you think that they're not doing enough for you. They're not putting your name on a flyer. They're, they don't trust you. They tell you what to do. They make you play stuff that might not work, like one of the questions that I answered. And what I want to tell everybody out there is when you're a resident of a space for long enough, you become the standard. You become trusted. You become how they compare all of the DJs. They compare them to you. You're the benchmark. 
So it takes a long time to get there. It takes years for the staff to trust you, to, to understand that you know what you're doing. But once you've achieved that, there's a lot of good things that come from it. You can take risk, uh, risky, cho- uh, ugh, let me start that sentence over again. You can take risks in your music. You can take chances with what you do. And you'll be trusted. If you try to take a chance when you're not a trusted DJ at a nightclub, you could, for example, the resident that's been playing at a club for five years could come in and play some rock and roll music and go back to hip-hop or go back to EDM or house music and no one would say anything bad. They might say, whoa, we played some rock last night. That was pretty cool. You could be a guest DJ and play the same set and the next day they'll be like, oh, this guy, who the fuck does he think he is playing rock and roll music? We don't play that here. That's not what gets done here. So there's the, you know, the, the resident DJ hometown advantage. It's something that helps build confidence and it helps build you up as a DJ. Because the longer that you can play somewhere, the more you know how to navigate that room. If you play something, you try something and it doesn't work, you can just bail and go back to exactly what you know is going to work for the room and that that's very important as a dj that's something that i was lucky enough to have so i could experiment i knew how to run a room from top to bottom i knew exactly what to play and when to play it and the crowd was potentially a lot of it was different but a lot of promoters were the same the owner was the same the manager was the same the waitresses were the same so i could ask them for feedback if i wanted to I think to some of the longest residencies that I had and that's pretty much what happened at at a lot of these residencies people would say oh you are our best resident and that shit that would make me feel good because I knew that there were a lot of other DJs that were part of those clubs and those nights and I knew how good they were but you know maybe they said that to everybody else who knows that's another thing Ah, that's good. Let me touch on that. You should never listen to what people tell you in nightlife. <laughs> you need to have a very thick bullshit meter because you never know. They might just be telling you that, but then they tell the other DJs the same shit. But in the case that they were honest and genuine, there's nothing better than knowing that the staff that gets to hear you every week thinks that you're good because goddamn, that's important. That's one way to keep a job. That's just the thought that I had. And it kind of all started because I remember that when Hyde Bellagio was open, I had three dates a month the last, like, three years that they were open. So they were open Tuesdays, and I think they did Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and some Sundays. So that's, what, five days a week they were open? So they were open five days a week. And I don't know if every Thursday was was on. But let me just do Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So what is that? If every week they're open four days, there's four weeks, it's 16 days. I had three of those days. And let me ask Siri here. Three is what percent of 16? 
18.75. So let's just round it up to 20%. So I think of how lucky I am because this was an, a Las Vegas nightclub that was doing millions of dollars per year. And they trusted me enough to give me 20% of their monthly gigs. I was in charge of that. And that was amazing. It was great. I don't know how I ended up thinking. I think I, oh, it's because I was thinking to myself, oh, I miss playing at high and I miss the staff. I miss all that stuff. And uh, thankfully, I knew it was coming to an end in advance. So I definitely took in a lot more. But you know the one thing that I, I'm going to leave you guys with this one. The last gig that I played there, I wore my Truth in the Booth shirt from Everyday Co. I stood up on the DJ booth during the confetti shot. I had the mic in my hand. I was doing the whole fucking Braveheart shit up there, pointing out at the crowd. Confetti was launching. It was the probably going to be the greatest picture ever. thousand likes on my page. And they never put up the pictures from that day. So somewhere out there, if anyone knows who took pictures for Hyde Bellagio on like June 29th or the last, you know, whatever day that I was there, there's a picture of me standing up on the DJ booth pointing out with the confetti launching. If anybody out there has a a way of figuring out who took that picture, I will, um, I don't know, I'll send you a free t-shirt if you get that picture to me. And that's pretty much it. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Rate it five stars so I can be the number one rated DJ podcast on iTunes. Goodbye.